Hello, welcome to the Life Done Differently podcast with me, Neil Whitten, and my co-host Ray Richards. Join us on our journey to find out what separates the doers from the thinkers. Hi all, welcome to our conversation with Ben Ivey. Ben is a coach to entrepreneurs, but what makes Ben interesting is that he's interested in the entrepreneur as a person, the whole person, not just as a business person. He's as happy talking about love as he is margins. He wants you to live the best life you can, one where regrets are minimized and, in his words, magic moments are maximized. Ben's awareness of business was there from an early age. Both his granddad and his dad were property entrepreneurs, and this feeling that he needed to take personal responsibility or control of his life seems to be a bit of a reaction to his parents' separation. He was good at numbers, and so business or banking seemed a natural option, but he realized quite early on that he didn't want to go down the corporate consultancy route. And so, like many of us do, he followed a friend, in Ben's case, onto the startup bus, where he started his own entrepreneurial journey in the form of One Pink Elephant, which took him to China and then Los Angeles. Ben was for a while telling himself the let's make loads of money story, and then at 21, Ben lost his father to suicide. Ben had spoken to his dad the previous day and it was understandably a shock like no other. Ben had always seen his father as a man full of fun, charm, character. And it seems to have been the moment Ben realised that what you see is nothing like the full story. He describes his feeling of being utterly lost, having no idea how to deal with with it himself and so he spent time being there for other people then he spoke to counsellors then he started to understand the five stages of grief denial anger bargaining depression and finally acceptance and during this phase ben went to china he'd always wanted to go there because he'd studied mandarin at school and what ben noticed was that china and chinese culture are so different not better or worse, just very, very different. The way things are done is different at a fundamental level. It's China's differentness that seems to inspire. Check out episode five with Oliver Dahl for another example of how China inspires. Ben has a mindset that if someone else can do something, he can do it too. He seems to follow through on most of what he says he's going to do, and that's a mindset of perseverance. A good example of this is Ben's TED Talk in Mandarin. He talks about a fulfilled life being one with gratitude, purpose, and meaning. He talks about happiness as love. It's hard to imagine listening to Ben's story that his father's suicide wasn't the single biggest moment to date, but... Like many other people we've spoken to on this podcast, Ben has reacted to this rock bottom moment and created a turning point. Somehow, he's managed to eventually create something positive out of the chaos. He's worked in suicide prevention and has overcome what he he described as his biggest challenge, and that's his, when I have this addiction... He says, I believed I had to be successful myself before I could help people. If that's the way one thinks, you're never going to be qualified because there's always something more to be achieved. If that's your 
attitude, you'll never get there because there's so much to learn. You'll never be qualified. Uh, and like me, Ben is inspired by Bronnie Ware's Five Regrets of the Dying. What is it that really matters in life? He talks about the benefits of noticing what's actually happening and the need to balance a gratitude for what you have with the wonder of what could be. We talk about goals as direction. He says, don't become too attached to the result you're looking for because the result you have in mind is there to provide you direction, rarely something to be achieved. He's spot on. If you've um, ever achieved one of those goals you've set out to achieve, you'll know that the moment of achievement is there only briefly. Before you know it, it's gone, replaced by another mountain to climb. The bit I personally found most enlightening was Ben's take on relationships. He talks about the six expressions of love. He talks about them being food, gifts, positive words, acts of service, physical touch and quality time. This insight that we all value different things is gold dust to me. And, and as awkward as it may feel, regularly asking the questions, what can I do this week to make you feel most loved? And when, sorry, what, what can I do this week to make you feel loved? And when did you feel most loved is something I'm going to try. At one point, Ben says, doing something different enables me to notice what's happening. It slows life down so I can enjoy it. Anyway, enjoy. Ben Ivey, when did you feel most loved? So, Ben, it is a pleasure to be speaking to you. Um, we we wanted to say that this was going to be the first of our uh, remote conversations because as we said to you when we chatted briefly the other day, we, we're, we're still figuring out um, post-COVID how to do this remotely. Um, but we, we actually had our first one yesterday and it, and it went pretty well, Ray, didn't it? Well, we'll see afterwards. Let's let's see what the listeners say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we we <laughs> felt like it went. We felt, felt like it well, went quite well. The recording um, worked. You know, the rec- we actually technically, technically well. we captured the conversation. So yeah, exactly. Um, oh, that's the main thing. Where we like to start, Ben, is just to get some kind of context about who you are, what you do in the world, how you think about yourself, or how other people would describe you. So, if like the question we like to kick off with is, um, how do you tend to describe yourself to other people? Ah, that's an interesting one. I, I don't really tend to describe myself to, to, to other people, but with regards to what I do, I assume that's what we're going for. No, it's sort of, we're trying to avoid the how do you, what do you do question. So we're trying to think of a better question, which is what journey are you on? What, what, what's your story? What are you about? How do you spend your time? How do you spend your time is a, is a way that I quite like. Sure. Fantastic. So I spend my time at the moment enjoying myself probably too much uh, at home. My, um, my wife just recently moved from Los Angeles uh, to England. So we've only been together uh, for three months uh, in the same place now because we've been doing a long distance relationship for almost five years. So for me, I'm really enjoying this phase of being grounded in one place because yeah, yeah. I'm used to flying around to either LA or China. And obviously that's not happening anytime soon at uh, present. So it's been really nice. Uh, I feel very grounded at present, being able to just be in one place and to focus on her and be able to see my family, see friends and and connect with people in a a way that I didn't really have previously. 
Okay. And um, so there's loads to kind of unpack there. We'll, we'll, we'll come to that, the long distance relationship. And um, yeah. Um, how do you spend your days? What, like, let's talk about uh, the kind of projects that you're involved in, the kind of work that you do, if, if, if you call it work, um, what value you put into the world, what kind of journey you're on? Sure. So my typical days consist of client calls. So I work with a lot of uh, entrepreneurs who are feeling overwhelmed, especially nowadays with all the uncertainty going on. I think entrepreneurs uh, have a lot of challenges, whether it's pivoting the business or, or working out what they want to do in a, in a different way. And then I also work with coaches and certify them. So they've got the skills that I use with people that I work with as well as building up a coaching practice online. So very often in my days, I'm having one-on-one -on -one conversations very much like this. And then I'm either building content or I'm working on uh, Chinese and doing quite a lot of stuff out in China as well. And so so day-to-day -day you're you're helping other people figure out their lives as entrepreneurs and the balance that that, 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 that affords and how to kind of find the life that suits them given the kind of uh, sometimes strange and stressful environment that they might find themselves in. Yeah, correct. I think that there's a, a preconception of you have to hustle as an entrepreneur, you've got very long hours, and that's true to some extent. However, I think it's also very important to live a great lifestyle on that entrepreneurial journey. So very much people will come to me when they're either procrastinating or they're overwhelmed or they're burning out, they're stressed, they're attempting to figure out how do I you know, build my business whilst also enjoying myself at the same time. Mm, I heard this awesome quote um, a, a couple of weeks ago where it was something along the lines of... Um, to be an entrepreneur is the best growth program, life growth program there is. And I thought yeah. that, that that's a very representative um, angle of, of what it means to operate in that kind of space because there's so much uncertainty and so much to deal with personally. And I think what goes alongside it is that your business doesn't grow unless you're prepared to grow. So it, so it definitely interplays a lot into the way we think about a life done differently, actually, because often to be an entrepreneur is to have a life that, um, that might look quite different to what we are prescribed uh, as the kind of get a job and um, work your way up and then get paid a bit more money and get promoted and all the rest of it. Yeah, I, I think there's a there's a lot of different um, you know, facets to that. And you know, what is an entrepreneur? And I was having a conversation the other day about, you know, can you come up with a definition of this? And you know, very much with the podcast name, it is life done different, doing things a little bit differently to other people. And I really agree with what you say. Your your business growth will never outgrow your personal growth. So as entrepreneurs, I think that you know, when you face extreme challenges, it's also an opportunity for you to grow uh, in a different way that you haven't before. Mm. So, so, so to do the kind of work that you're doing, presumably um, you have had to build up some empathy and some mindset around what it takes to be able to help these kinds of people. So where, where did this kind of work come from? Where did this kind of intention come from in your life? Sure. So previously I was running a business in Silicon Valley. It was a, a virtual reality uh, app and I, I did a, an import and export business before that. But when I was there, it was very much the aim of, you know, make a lot of money. And then once I'm successful, I'll help other people. And I was very much on, on that train. And then I ended up losing my father to suicide, who was my best friend. And I saw him the day before. And that just completely shook my world where I decided that I didn't want to carry on that path that I was doing. And I wanted to figure out you know, what happened to him. And if he was the only one that struggled with that, or if there's other people that live in these parallel worlds where what you see is very different than what's really going on. Mm. And I think that that has led me to a level of empathy that's probably a bit different to other people because I can really you know, understand from my point of view, because I've burnt out running my business, but also how uh, 
detrimental it can be to entrepreneurs as they're going on their journey. Do you mind if we track back and, and dig into some of those periods in your life? Um, so if we, if we rewind a bit to when you were in Silicon Valley, what kind of age, you know, what, what had come before that? What, may, maybe a starting point is uh, as you went through education, what was the North Star? What, what did life look like for you? What was the kind of the natural path? Sure. So the natural path, you know, through the education was I did economics and Mandarin at university and I wanted to move into banking and investing. And then halfway through my university career, I started to set up uh, different businesses and just attempting to do different things. And I ended up doing an import export business with bags and selling them around universities and uh, in the UK. And I started to build up that business so that when I left, I ended up not going into the, you know, the top four like PwC and things like that. I decided to go on this entrepreneurial journey. And then from there, I had an opportunity to do something called the startup bus. And this was a pretty, pretty crazy idea. It was, you've got 72 hours on, your, on a bus with all these different types of entrepreneurs and you have to set up a business in 72 hours. And I remember thinking, this is nuts. <laughs> and I, uh, I had an opportunity to do that. And then uh, the team and I ended up coming, I think second in all of Europe, which was amazing um, with my idea for the virtual reality uh, app for memory. And where, where and did we, where did this um, startup bus thing come? How did that come into your radar, into your world? Sure. I just had a friend ping me a link to say that he was going on this and do I want to go as well? And I thought, oh, why not? I mean, it sounds like an interesting opportunity. And uh, I, I think it's, uh, for me, it's always been about doing things a, a little bit differently. And, and that, that friend and I always challenged each other uh, in different ways. And one of the things that I remember doing uh, with him a long while ago was about a dream book. I remember reading about something that there's a dream book that you carry around with you and it has everything that you want to create. And as part of that, we'd send each other different challenges. So he sent me that and it ended up going from, I think, Manchester in the UK uh, all the way to Austria. And you were sort of building the business on the bus and obviously the Wi-Fi doesn't work. And it's, it, was, uh, it, was, it was a really fascinating uh, opportunity to start uh, doing things a little bit different than, than I was used My to. My imagination, and- I've got the Sandra Bullock on the bus i can't remember what that, <laughs> that film is called but i sort of yeah unless you come up with a world beating business it's gonna blow up or something yeah 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 yeah, yeah. what was the film I, i've got speed, I, was it was it? tom cruise speed that's it yeah yeah, yeah. anyway sorry film, yeah okay but... so 72 hours and that actually turned into something yeah it did it, it was um it was pretty amazing how it worked and we from, from there i ended up keeping in contact with some of the guys and then what was the product I, ben just pitch it to us so Sure. So it was uh, one, the, so the product name was One Pink Elephant, and it was about helping people learn Mandarin Chinese through virtual reality. And after we did that, we would then go on to memorize like other, other things. And it was uh, really fascinating how it worked. It was using the same techniques people use to memorize cards. Uh, using the memory palace mm-hmm. technique, but applied to Chinese characters and how you pronounce uh, different things, which was, which was really cool. So I ended up doing like a little visualization for people when, as, as part of the pitch, which helped them remember uh, Xi Jinping's name. And it was a sheep, you know, playing ping pong and like drinking gin. And it was Xi Jinping, right? And uh, I remember doing that. It just went down very, very well. And then we started to, to expand it from there. And it was, uh, it was a fascinating journey. And what happened? So did you, so you, did you realize that into a, 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 some kind of VR app and was that sold and like, how, how did that play out? 
Sure. So, so that played out in that we went to China, we started marketing, and then we went to Silicon Valley as part of uh, winning, like coming second in the competition. So we were out there for, I think it was a month for free. And then I was out there with my business partner and then there was other people in different places and we started to build the business. And then it was then that I, that I ended up losing my dad and it just literally just shifted the whole thing full tilt where I decided to, like I said, do things a little bit and, different. And, what, okay. and what, what, what were the questions that you, when that happened, what were, what were the questions that you were asking yourself that took you down a different, why, why did it change things? Sure. Well, for me, it was, it was incredibly challenging because Number one, I saw him the day before. So that was crazy that I didn't really understand. And especially because my dad was such an amazing bubbly character, so much love, like he would laugh till, till the, to just so much. He was, he was such an amazing character to see suddenly that change was incredibly challenging. And when I think of the questions, I think one of the bigger ones is, you know, why did this happen? How didn't I know? Uh, you know, were, were there any signs? And I think that it's very easy when something like that happens to go down this rabbit hole. And what was very challenging for me at the time was being strong for all the other people in my life mm. and not processing everything that was going on. So I had certainly had my own journey of opening up and being vulnerable because that had obviously been a, a really uh, challenging period for me with regards to the emotions and trusting people. What, what age were you at this stage, Ben? Uh, I was 20, 21, 22. And, and so and how, you, how old was you your living? Uh, my dad was 56. Yeah, okay. um, were you living your own life or kind of away from your parents at that point? Because you said you were over in Silicon Valley. Where was home and how? Uh, you, you... Sure. So my, my parents got divorced when I was 15. So they were, they were in different places. And I would see my dad yeah, probably about every, every month or so. I mean, we were close. We would send messages and things like that. Mm. Um, but I, yeah, ultimately, I had moved, moved out. I was doing my own thing. And, and, and that's when, when everything occurred. What, what did life look like for you growing up? If we just, we, we'll come back to this point in a minute, but um, if, we yeah, can, sure. if we can rewind a bit further and go into Ben as a child and, um, you know, what, what you talked about that relationship with your dad as being your best friend and, you know, what, what, what did, how did you see him in the world and what kind of lessons did he teach you? How did he see the world? Can you just give us a bit more context of like what that childhood experience looked like? Sure. So for me, I think I had an incredibly fortunate childhood in that uh, we would go on holidays. And like, f for me, <laughs> when, when I think of holidays with my family, it would be my dad bringing all this like fun things, like all these flashing lights, or he'd bring these like lilos and there'd be like lilo races, or he, he would always do these things above and beyond. He was quite a character. Like he would wear these waistcoats, uh, like a Batman waistcoat. He'd have like a Harley Davidson that was Lord of the Rings painted. He was just such a wacky, fun character. And for me, I, I certainly you know, loved my dad and emulated him you know, to, to, to like an incredible amount. And I really looked up to him as someone who was inspiring, charismatic, like everyone loved him. He was, he was truly an amazing individual. Like when I think of people like that, you know, Robin Williams and everything mm. that happened with him, mm. like it really comes to mind. And that, when that happened, that was uh, a real big hit of, of understanding someone else mm. who could, you know, in a very similar position that, that has gone through that. So as a child, yeah, I, I felt incredibly fortunate when my parents got divorced when I was 15, it was challenging because I felt like I was suddenly the man of the house mm. and I felt like I grew up very quickly. And I think a lot of people who go through divorce at a young age experience that. And I think from there, it made me 
uh, toughen up, take more responsibility and start to really take responsibility for my life and, and instead of relying on other people to make me do things, I would start to proactively uh, work harder and to live my own life. And, and back in those early days when you, when you saw your dad in, in that kind of capacity, what, what was the, as much as you can remember, what, what, were you, what were you going to do in the world? What were your ambitions and dreams? And, and how might that have related to the, the role that you saw your father playing in the world? Sure, that's a, that's a very interesting question. So I, I think that for me, I'd always wanted to uh, be an entrepreneur, run my own business. I wanted to go into banking. I wanted to be able to do, like I, I wanted to be able to live a life where I could have freedom to travel, to go on holiday, to count people. So no matter what I did, I knew that I was heading in that direction. I wanted to do economics because I thought that would do well with business. If I set up a business or I went into finance, like that was my reasoning behind it. And I think that even from a young age, I had wanted to have that entrepreneurial streak. Like I remember doing something called young enterprise in mm. school where you set up a business. I think we were like selling pajamas or something like that. And I think that it was, it was those little things and challenging myself uh, as a youngster, that was something that really, help me move forward. Like I would always set myself these mini challenges that I found have, have helped me to reinforce some beliefs such as, you know, I can set anything that I, I, I can do anything I set my mind to. And I think that that's just been reinforced through little uh, challenges that I'd set myself as I was uh, going through and growing up. Okay. So um, the, the one thing I just want to question or understand better is you talked about like a will to get into banking. I've Sure. For me, that sounds like I, I can only imagine someone wanting to get into banking if they either have got um, stories from people close to them that have been in that world and had great successes in that world, um, or if they've maybe studied economics and they see that as an application of economics, or if they just see it as this is a great way to go and make a shed load of money really quickly. Um, yeah. What What was it for you? So for me, I was very, oh, I've always been very good with numbers. So I thought anything with numbers, I'm not going to do accounting because for me, I would find that far too boring. So I thought playing with finances and, and stocks and shares and things like that, I'd find that very fascinating. And my granddad is a, a very successful entrepreneur uh, on my mum's side in the property business. Uh -huh. So I thought it had always been the idea of gaining uh, some success and then setting up my own business, whether that would be in you know, corporate and finance or something like that. Um, but ultimately, you know, that's that I, I'm, I'm doing as best as I can to, to remember yeah. uh, at that age what I was thinking. But I think ultimately it was, this is a way for me to broaden my horizons and open me up for opportunities if I want them. Mm. So that's why I did, for example, straight economics, because I thought that could lead to other opportunities, whether it's business, whether it's uh, doing something corporate and then having the money to fund my own business. I think that was really what I was uh, going through at the time. Okay. Oh yeah, I can see that. What, what kind of work did your parents do? Uh, my mom's a nurse. So she's a cardiac sister. And then my dad was uh, entrepreneurial. He would run different projects and then he was in the building industry uh, running his own thing with his dad. So I think that he had, he'd always had that entrepreneurial streak. And my mom was very much a nurse and has been for her entire life. Yeah. Okay. That's a really interesting balance. We've heard that before, actually, of kind of the yin and yang of, of two parents yeah, and yeah, how yeah. that makes you appreciate the world in, in, in a way that's not too slanted to one or the other. 
Um, okay, so fast forwarding back to uh, so you, you you done uni, you you've been on your startup bus um, with with Sandra Bullock and Tom Cruise, and um, <laughs> and then and then you're in Silicon Valley, you're still trying to figure out the world, um, and then out of nowhere you hear that your your dad's not alive anymore. So what happens like how how do you how do you start to wrestle with that and you know it's completely understandable to assume that that would completely change your psyche everything that's in front of you what what happened well for me it was it was incredibly challenging because there was no one who i could speak to that i thought could relate in any way to what i was going through mm. And I really had no idea how to, how to deal with it. Like I remember listening to voice messages from him, like old voice messages just to hear his voice. And one of the ways that I processed it, which I think is, is fantastic. And I recommend it to other people is about journaling everything that was going on. And for me, I wouldn't write it. I'd actually type it because I found that it was easier just to, to get everything down. Cause um, I was just thinking so quickly that I wanted to be able to just type it out, even if it didn't make sense, like just having it there was very helpful. Mm. And I think that that helped me process my emotions that I was going through. And then I became very focused uh, after that first you know, week before the funeral of writing a eulogy that would be you know, powerful for him. And I think that I got into a mindset of being there for other people as opposed to looking after myself, mm. which was fantastic at the time. But then it, it hit me later on with regards to opening up and connecting with other people. And I'm trying to imagine what that would feel like and all I can consider all I can think is just that it would pull my world apart and I can understand how it would be natural to slip into a role of being there for other people and 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 kind of almost dealing with it that way because you're you're helping and you're you feel active and you feel as though you're kind of going moment to moment but I guess at some point it it's likely that it's going to completely shift your worldview right um and I wonder how that starts to connect with your attitudes towards how you live your life and what you might be pushing towards or working towards. Sure. Well, it was, it was an incredibly challenging time. And I remember you know, speaking to counselors and then talking about six stages of like five stages of grief and these, these different frameworks that people will share with you. And I found that although interesting, it, it was very challenging to understand exactly how to process everything. Cause I think that very often from my personal opinion with counselors and therapists, you often just speak about the past. It can keep you stuck there. Mm. Um, and I, and I found that was very challenging to keep bringing it up and to keep talking about it. Um, I, it, it was just a, a very challenging um, time to understand. And one of the things that I did during that period, a few months later was to go to China just to give myself some breathing space and to, to do things a little differently and just to reevaluate what I wanted to, to do with my life. And, so what, what, why China? Yeah, I was going to say exactly the same thing. Yeah. Sure. Great. So for me, because I did um, economics and Mandarin at university, I'd always wanted to go to China. There had just never been the opportunity because I was running the business. I was, and then, then I was in uh, Silicon Valley and I was doing those different things. I decided that it would be good to go out there. And then I ended up looking on Airbnb and finding uh, like an NLP practitioner who I thought would be a great person to learn from. Like I could live in the house, I could model him. I, I thought that would be a really cool opportunity to do. Um, so I basically booked a flight and decided to, to go out there for a few months just to ground myself and to figure out what I really wanted to do. So the decision to choose Mandarin alongside the economics degree, 
uh, that that shows some kind of affinity to China. Where, what 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 was that about? Sure. So I would love to say that you know, I was a visionary. I thought of these things, but the reality was I was with one of my friends and. He wanted to do to do Mandarin, and my mate and I went with him. And this Chinese teacher just starts walking around, handing these papers. Like, he didn't even say anything. She just gave me this paper, and I looked at my mate, and I was like, no, "We need forty percent to pass. Should we just do Mandarin for a free? Yeah, like the economy's going well. Like we reasoned, like, sure, it's great. Let's just do uh, Mandarin for the first year." So we did economics of Mandarin, and then, uh, <laughs> despite how incredibly challenging Mandarin is, uh, I had an opportunity to fly out to uh, Zhuhai in China. Uh, that summer, and that was uh, amazing to be able to experience an, a completely different culture. Mm-hmm. To to have a lot of fun, it was it was incredible. It was an incredible experience to be able to grow in different ways and to meet different people, to get connections. And then from there, I went one more time in a, doing business in China, um, in the Fudan University. And then after that. I decided I wanted to go back there and start to explore and, and make connections. I thought it'd be a fantastic opportunity uh, that could help me in the future. Yeah. How, how does um, exploring a language so different to uh, European languages change your perception of yourself, the human condition, and culture? Um, because it's, I think, it's one thing to recognise shifts in culture and differences in nature but it feels like another thing to be able to dig deeply into a language into the way that people communicate and what that says about um uh, like the 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 kind of pointy end of culture if you like yeah and the the most challenging thing about chinese is that there's nothing to relate it to when you do a, like a, a language such as French, like you, there's some sort of similarities, but it, but with Chinese, I really had no idea. And you've got the Chinese characters, there's depth, and then you speak to Chinese people and the way they do things is incredibly different. And it was those culture shocks that came in so many different forms that I found were was very, very fascinating to be able to learn about like what, what they eat for breakfast, like how they communicate with one another. Like, why don't they say please and thank you? in family because in in britain you, you say please and thank you often but for them they're like why would you say please and thank you that's not what you do mm. and and it was just such like such a weird experience to go through attempting to understand why they do things and it helped me have a deeper appreciation for the human psyche of why we do what we do and how we've been conditioned to yeah. do it and how we think in certain so ways it really is, is china's differentness that really inspires you yeah, most certainly. I think that the, the way they do things is, is so completely different and that it gave me a broader perspective that I think most people would never experience. Uh, not because, you know, I'm, I'm so, so good that I can do that. It's purely because they haven't had that opportunity to see things in a, in a very, very different way. And being able to live there, seeing different relationships, speaking to people, getting different opportunities to do speaking or connect or, you know, attempting to teach English, which I was doing to begin with. Like it was just fascinating to see the the difference in psychology of people from all over the world. Cause as well as the people in China, I'd connect with expats too and hearing their journey and connecting with people of, of a variety of different ages allowed me to broaden how I viewed the world and the situation I was in. Uh, is it, uh, well, it's really interesting that you, you've seen this differentness and you're, and you, you're curious you want to explore more 
Whereas a lot of people would have seen the different list and thought, whoa, this is mm, sort of run is, away from this it. This is not what I'm used to. This is a different set of rules. This is a different, this is just so different. It's too different for me. And they'd have gone back, yeah. but you didn't. You, you, you were, um, curious. Yeah. Curious. And, and, and I'm guessing that that curiosity has always been there or, 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 or not. Yeah. I think that, something that has always been a big part of what I do are these little, as I mentioned previously, these challenges and being curious as to if it's possible. And I very much come with this mindset. If someone else can do it, uh, why can't I? That doesn't make sense. And I remember saying to myself, like random things, like teaching myself the wolf whistle. Yeah. I'd see people whistling. I think that was so cool. And I remember seeing someone in China whistling for a taxi and I was like, I need to do that. <laughs> and uh, often I would become very determined of wanting to, to do something very well. And it was those I'm, things. I'm glad and, you mentioned the whistle because I, we went on holiday a few years ago for two weeks and I told my kids that they would get 50 quid each. And I don't, <laughs> I don't hand out money easily. <laughs> All right, a 50 quid that's more than they would ever get in any holiday ever if they yeah. could learn to wolf whistle. One of my children claimed the 50 quid because I think it's, I think it's up there, top three skills in life. Agreed, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there we are, master, master the top one, just like that. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so that was fascinating. And you know, there's another one like you know, teach myself to break dance and, and doing the, the windmill on the floor, things like that. It, it's it's something that I enjoy doing when I see something that someone does that I really admire. I want to be able to emulate it. And I know that when I make a, a decision and follow through that, I'm going to do that. It's very much of my intention. Like I'm going to make that Okay. Happen. So, so you, you're, you, when you look at people doing stuff, you say yes. to yourself, um, well, if they can do it, I can do it. What, what, when, when, Does that always work out? I think ultimately for me, I realize with great intent that what anyone else can do, I know that I could challenge myself to, to do as well. I know there's some things that would take me a lot longer, but I do know that if I, if I genuinely set my mind to something and I say, this is what I'm going to do, I know I'll make it happen. Now, it's pretty rare that I decide, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. Like, I can look at other people. I see what they do. I see people on stage. I see people doing, you know, mand like talks in Mandarin. And very often in my life, when I think of things that uh, I, want, I want to be able to, to do, I, I do follow through on them, um, like, very diligently. And I remember one of the things that my, my now wife's told me is that when we first met, um, I think it was about seven, eight years ago, she said, I'll never forget that you told me you would set up a business and you'd write a book and you ended up doing that. And I, I was amazed that you actually followed through on what you said, because there's many people that, that don't do that. And, and that was something that I didn't really realize until she said it, that I did follow through on a lot of what I said. Has that always been the case or is that something that you've developed over time? I think that has something that has been reinforced through time. There have been, I'm not saying that, okay, I'm going to do this, like it, everything always happens, but the majority of the time when I'm focused on something and I, and I want to make it happen, I'll do whatever I have to do in order to, to do it. And, and often having the patience there is something that has been a challenge to following through and making it happen. For example, one of the things that I wanted to do was a, a talk uh, in Mandarin Chinese, a TED, a TED talk in Mandarin. 
And I decided that I wanted to do it in Chinese to inspire more people in China. And attempting to do that, finding the right connections, that was something that, that took years and years to do. And despite different hurdles, I remember uh, three and a half years ago having an opportunity. And then the day before I got canceled by the Chinese government and I was gutted. And it's, it's those sort of moments that challenge you to think about how much do you really want this? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you did, and, you did it in the end. Uh, yeah, I did. It was crazy. I remember preparing for three months, attempting to link my gestures to the Mandarin I was saying. It was, it was just crazy because I, I can speak fine in English, but attempting to express emotions whilst thinking about my body language and saying the right tones and remembering the whole speech because I learned it off by heart, the, the entire thing. Was, was very challenging um, in, in a variety of different ways. I remember one time swimming and just reciting the entire speech in my head as I was doing lengths. It was, uh, it was a fascinating process. What was the talk about? Uh, it was uh, how to be more fulfilled in life. You can watch it on, um, on YouTube. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. It's got subtitles, don't worry. As you can say, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if my Mandarin's up to it. Yeah. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll yeah. provide a link in the show notes. Give, give, us, give us the um, elevator pitch for the, for the talk. Sure, sure, sure. So, rewards ain't nothing. Yeah, that's exactly it's like I teed you up for that. Yeah, right. Uh, basically, it was uh, how to be uh, how to be more fulfilled in life, and I looked into three secrets that were of fundamental importance. And I talk a little bit about my story as well uh, in 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 the, in the time provided. It was uh, it was really cool. And then I would have different jokes in there targeting the Chinese audience. And there was actually a moment in my speech where I completely went blank. Can you read this, right? People don't believe me, but it was insane. You can actually see when it happens, uh, but I, I hit it pretty well. And basically halfway through the speech, I just went completely blank. And I've, I'm meant to be in my rhythm and I know the sentences as they roll on and, and I'm just blank and I've got 500 people staring at me and I'm thinking, oh my God, what do I do? So I look at an audience member and I, I say, soy woman's in a band, which is like, so what do we do? And this guy just looks at me and he's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it was enough to trigger me back on course, which was amazing. I was uh, momentarily incredibly petrified that halfway through I'd have to go, sorry guys, can't do it. Uh, but it was, uh, it worked out very well in the end. Can you give us the three headlines of what, what you were promoting of how to live the fulfilled life? Uh, sure. So I was looking into uh, gratitude as one of the fundamental things. And then I was looking into purpose and meaning. Um, looking into people like Viktor Frankl, like how do you have that meaning for your life? And then looking into the grant study of uh, happiness is love and looking into how do you have those relationships and how can you connect better with, with other human beings? And that's really interesting stuff because it sounds like as you were there on your journey, you're starting to pick up some of these themes around what it means, you know, how you're going to go about approaching your life and how you're going to connect um, the meaning back to what you've learned and how you're going to apply that back into the world. And I can see how that would relate to the kind of work that you're doing today. Where did you start to pick that up? So if we, again, go back to um, you found yourself over in China and you were looking for this NLP coach. Um, sure. So I ended up living with him um, and it, it was a fantastic opportunity to learn a, a different skill. And I'd always been pretty productive at university. So my productivity was pretty good. I, I was just learning how do you actually help people in a, in a different way? So I started to delve into a, a lot of books. I had always been quite curious, as we mentioned before, with regards to books. So I'd read a lot of business books and business mindset 
uh, for a while at university. And then I started to dive into psychology. So NLP, I looked into uh, all elements of, of psychology, looking to like, wh why is it we do what we do? I looked into like Yuval Noah Harari and those different types of books to enable me to just broaden my perspective. And then I ended up doing a, uh, a course called the, the Core 100 by uh, Chloe Madans, just a, an online course learning from Tony Robbins about how he does his interventions because I found that pretty fascinating. And then I started to become more aware of how different coaches work because they have like the ICF coaching credentials and things like that, which personally, I, I don't really like how, how they coach. That wasn't how I wanted to. So I started to understand the different facets because to begin with, it's, it's incredibly, I guess, intimidating. There's so many different avenues to go down, therapist, counseling, coaching, and, and a variety of modalities. So I started to explore uh, different ones. I'd go to different events. And then I started the, the journey of helping people. I think the first client I took on was for productivity. And, and then I started to help people with public speaking and then it ended up being mindset. And it sort of traversed from there, helping people from walks of life to starting to help uh, more entrepreneurs. Do you mind if I, I again, I'm just going to try and deconstruct some of what, um, what maybe you were experiencing and how some of these shifts and changes happened in you. So sure. you were um, defining yourself maybe as somebody who, uh, had studied economics and Mandarin and you saw yourself going into maybe banking and entrepreneurship and, um, did some entrepreneurial things, started up a business and then a profound shift happens with your dad, makes you really reconsider what your role is in the world. And you find yourself as maybe part therapy, helping people, helping your family members and the other people close to you to deal with it. Um, almost before helping yourself. It sounds like you find yourself in China studying NLP, partly to maybe help you um, work some things through yourself, but also to maybe work out how you could be better at helping other people. Um, and is that the thread that sort of leads you to maybe a natural inclination to understand how better to help people? Is that Do, do you feel as though as you start to progress through this journey and allow yourself to explore that what you start to recognize is maybe you're just made to try and help people in the world. And this is the, the kind of route towards you doing that. It was, it was certainly a natural progression. One of the, one of the key things that, that I did was uh, I did a public speaking course where we started to share um, our stories. I had a one-on-one -on -one with the, with the guy afterwards for a day, who's like a multimillionaire. And we were talking about, what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. And we were looking into you know, life coaching or something like that. And he said to me, Ben, you can't be a life coach. And I, and I agree with him because what do I know about life compared to someone who's in their forties and fifties? And that's not what I'm, what I was good at. It was understanding people's patterns, why they do what they do and interrupting it. And that's where we started to create the, the first brand of the fulfillment artist. And the key distinction I made there when we think about embodying like who we are, was identifying if I was the fulfillment artist helping other people, what would I be doing? How would I think? What would be my own behaviors? And I started to have a mentor who taught me about the triad of our focus, our language, and our state to better understand how I could become that person much faster from a being standpoint to enable me to have a larger impact. So you were operating under the guise of the fulfillment artist for a period of time. Is that fair? And that was almost Correct, yes. as a recognition that you didn't feel as though you could promote yourself as a kind of lifestyle coach or, or something closer to what you are now, because you felt like you needed to get better credentialed. 
Uh, what I wanted to actually do was to differentiate myself between other coaches because I thought there was a lot of coaches out there and it was I felt that if I said a life coach, I would be grouped into mm. life coaches like similar to other people. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to differentiate myself with what I did because I ended up doing a variety of different things from like suicide prevention training uh, to you know, attending all these different events and workshops. I had a variety of tools around me. So I wanted to, as best I could, to differentiate myself from others uh, as from a branding standpoint as well as marketing to distinguish myself from other people. Why did you want to do that? Because I, what I wanted to do was to be able to number one, help people more sustainably because that was, I wanted this to be my primary income and then also to be able to more congruently share what I do with people in a way that would work for myself. Okay. So it's because you had to do it your way. You really wanted to find what your way was rather than differentiating because you wanted didn't want to be uh, one of many. Correct. I wanted to, as best I could, differentiate myself from other people out there because I feel that anyone could call themselves like a life coach or they could call themselves that and then I would be put into that that bucket of, of people and I wanted to remove the preconception by adding a different title. How, how well did that serve you? This is a massively loaded question because when I, I hadn't heard of uh, you referencing the fulfillment artist before. And as soon as yes. you said it, some, there was like a penny drop moment. It was, it sounds quite, it sounds powerful. It sounds um, differentiated. Uh, it sounds like yes. it's a deliberate um, response to, or who are you to be a life coach? You know, correct. How, how did that play out for you? Because it sounds like it's almost the perfect representation of where where you might be in the world. And 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 if anything, it sounds like you've shifted closer towards what you were trying not to be then. Um, so yeah, how did how did that serve you? And how has that kind of evolved over over time? Sure. So it, it served me very well. I the. I obviously built up a successful business. I started training other fulfillment artists who were interested in, in, in what I did. So I started to certify people and I started to train them up as well. And then the, the biggest thing uh, actually that I did at the very beginning of this year was start to understand how to build a brand online and how to better connect with people without them knowing what I did because I, I built my business very much through offline speaking. People would see me speak, they'd, they'd connect, and I could have called myself whatever. It doesn't really matter. They, they would connect with me. Now, the challenge that I had was, how do I market the fulfillment artist online when I have to educate people first? So this is where I started to look into branding, and I worked with you know, different coaches to figure out how could I better class myself in a way where it would be easier for people to understand what I, what I do mm. in a way that works online where they're not getting confused or unsure about it because as soon as you say artist people are thinking okay well you know, do you do art and, and there's an element there especially out in china mm. so it served me incredibly well to to build me up to to where i was and then i decided to rebrand and to, to do things differently to the entrepreneurial lifestyle because that better resonated with where i am now compared to where i was back then mm. and how you talked about um i forget the name but it was the 100 step program or something so so you, you it's the core 100 that's yeah. it so tell us about the core 100 and tell us about that journey from nlp to the fulfillment artist getting credentialed enough and confident enough that you could do this kind of work and then 
like exploring uh, training through Tony Robbins? What, like, how did that? How did that whole evolution play out? Sure. So the evolution was, I was doing NLP. I started working with different people and then I ended up coaching the guy I was with. And I was like, well, if I'm coaching him, like I'm, 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 I should be pretty good to go. Right. And then I decided that, uh, I would attend some of the Tony Robbins events. So I ended up flying to, uh, the signature event, unleash the power within. And I just, 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 just going to want to kind of dig into that point. Why, why, why did, why did you go pursue that? Why did you spend the money fly? What, what was driving you at that point? Sure. So what was driving me was to better understand how to help people from a different perspective. And I would go to different events. Like I went to the Millionaire Mind Intensive, T. Harbecker, and I would go to some events where they were very salesy. And I'd go to other events that I thought were, were very powerful. And it was a real challenge to understand. Some people want to help people, but then there's other ones that just want to do sales and another intent there. And I thought there was a very fine line of people that, uh, are very selly versus people that actually care for others. And I was recommended by a friend to go see Tony Robbins. And I remember thinking, oh, I might as well give it a go. So I ended up you know, flying out to, to LA and attended uh, the event. I thought it was incredibly transformational and then decided after that to get some training to perhaps understand a little bit more about how he does what he does. And then since then, I've, I've volunteered at tons of different events. I've attended most of his events and he was very much a, a mentor or someone that I looked up to from a state of someone who has mastered psychology and can help people from all walks of life. And then whilst doing that, I also wanted to get better with regards to suicide and helping people that are suicidal. Mm. So that's where I started to research online about suicide. I got some more training in that, that enabled me to feel more comfortable working with suicidal clients. And then working with suicidal clients has been a whole another journey in and of itself. And then that's been um, a, a real eye opener with, with what people. Can, can I just ask you, and I could be completely wrong here, but <clears throat> it feels like your dad's suicide sort of your direction changed from money to meaning. Yes and no. I think that the, the, the biggest challenge that I actually had was I always wanted to help people to some degree. The challenge that I had was what I now call the when I have this, then addiction. In that I believed I had to be successful and then I would have the credentials to be able to help other people. And that was the real challenge I was facing. Like, how can I help people without having the success first? I felt that that was a prerequisite. And yeah. with everything that happened, I decided to is there anything that needs to happen for me to do that? No. And that's when I started on that, on that snowball of a journey. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I can understand that feeling and, you know, I've I've had it myself and to a certain extent still do, you know, that needing to feel as though you're qualified. Um, It's sort of, it's just the, it's the imposter syndrome. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's certainly part of that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that there's, there's there's a variety of different facets involved. I, I guess for me, it was this prerequisite that I felt like I had to have a multi-million dollar yeah. company and then I would be able to to do that. And it was always in my head and I never really questioned it. And as I started to question you know, everything about my life after everything happened, I started to figure out some blind spots that, that I didn't see previously. I'd really like to understand. I, I, I know that it's it's super delicate to be talking about your dad's suicide and I, and I, and I want to really tread carefully and be respectful of you and and what will what will be involved emotionally but i would i'd love to explore a little bit more how it changed your worldview how it um 
for some people, I'd imagine that that would happen and they might double down on the thing they've got in front of them and lock themselves into that and actually become a lot more uh, adverse to change as opposed to embracing change. It feels like you went a completely different way. It feels like, like, like Ray was getting at, um, however it manifested, it sounds like it was a moment for you that radically changed your direction in life. Can we, can we go well, back to that and just, just try and pull it course, apart yeah. a bit more? Yeah, I, I think that ultimately when, when we speak about having, uh, like wanting to understand something, um, when we look into, for example, the suicide, like for me, it was a big thirst of understanding why it happened and to figuring out like, how can something like that happen? And that's when I would start to go to these things and understand different facets of like, why, like what drives people. Cause I really wanted to figure out like how something like that could occur. Cause I just had no idea. And it was very much that that drove me into this psychology of figuring it out as opposed to doubling down on work. Cause that wouldn't give me the answers that I wanted at the time. What, what, what if there's something that you can share about what, what, what you've learned what would that be around the human condition and what it takes to, to kind of be that down and protect yourself from, from that? Sure. So when, when I start to uncover and when I work with people that are suicidal now, as an example, there's these two main factors that generally speaking, lead people to suicide, which are finances and relationships. And generally speaking, like when they happen combined with anything else, it's a, a recipe for disaster, especially when someone's drinking or they're isolating themselves and not connecting. And then they go down on this downward spiral. And I can suddenly see how my father did that uh, in hindsight. But obviously at the time, it's very difficult to, to understand what's going on. And you know, e- even then, like I've, I've met people who have then taken their lives um, a few months after I worked on the fire team in UPW and that was an incredible, um, like liberating experience of thinking like, like if, if I didn't understand it now with all the tools that I had, then like, like it's sometimes you just, you just don't know because people can hide it so well. Mm. And I think that's, that's such a, a challenging thing to, to work with, especially when you're close to people. When you say it like that about the role of, um, relationships and, and money, um, it's it, there's a lot of clarity that you present um, just through those two kind of pretty simple topics, but how deeply rooted those two topics can be in how to be um, okay in life, I guess, because uh, the, the finance side of things um, I think is probably more obvious in as much as if the amount of stress it can create, if you haven't got it and um and the responsibility that you can carry with it, especially when you've got other people that you're providing for. Um, and then the relationship side uh, maybe is the one that's hidden in clear sight a bit more around the role of community and peer support and um, that no man is an island. And, and to what extent have recognizing those two attributes and the importance of those two attributes, how have, how have, how has that manifested in your own world and what have you done to um, make sure you're on the right side of that? Sure. Well, I, I think the, when, when I look through life and I was thinking about, you know, what is it that really matters to people? You think about what, what wealth really means, not wealth financially, but wealth as an, in, as an individual. Mm. And you look at the, the aspects of what really matters and, and people will come up with different frameworks. And I think what has been fascinating to me is to figure out what is it that really matters to me on my journey for things that, that I can control. So for example, health. 
or looking after uh, my relationships around me and actively connecting with people. And, and there's been a variety of different models that has helped reinforce my thinking of what I prioritize and why I prioritize it. Like you look into the five regrets of the dying, or you look into you know, the grant study as, as finishing with happiness is love. Like that's, that's crazy to think that over 70 years, it's that simple. Yet it's so easy to become so obsessed with finance or work or what society depicts as success mm. that we often lose what is most important to us along the way. And very much being able to, to figure out and reinforce, like what is it that actually matters on this journey has been of fundamental importance. And I guess that's what's made me so passionate about people enjoying the journey as they go on it, because I find that a lot of people sacrifice what they care most about in the pursuit of their goals, as opposed to keeping them along the way. How are those things playing out for you personally, and in particular, enabling you to not get too comfortable, but to kind of keep challenging yourself and keep pushing outside of your comfort zone? I, I think for me, the, the, the fundamental importance is, is the awareness of what's going on and then figuring out how can you genuinely be fulfilled with everything that's happening, especially nowadays with so much uncertainty. It, it took me to go back to gratitude and to not put pressure on myself for goals I had previously this mm -hmm. year, because obviously everything has shifted. And it's that constant reevaluation that has been very helpful for me and, and a practice that I picked up and I share this in my talks and I've been doing this for over four years is about a weekly evaluation or a weekly reflection where I ask myself a series of questions in all the different areas of my life that allow me to evaluate and to figure out how I'm actually doing. And I think that's been very helpful and also a practice of daily gratitude and thinking of what I really have enables me to think in much more abundance as opposed to falling into scarcity and basically just becoming part of the, the world of adapting so quickly that we forget how lucky we are. Mm. And is that, is that fair to say that that side of things is a reflection of where, where you would start with finance, but moving into wealth and that's the wealth of what you have and the wealth of um, what, what might come in the future. I think that in order to be truly wealthy, you have to start wealthy. What I mean by that is to realize how much you have, because very often people come from a place of scarcity. I have nothing and nothing's going on. And when people get to that state, it's very difficult to move forward. Mm -hmm. When you think about, I've got my health, I can see, right? I have a roof over my head. I'm luckier than most people. And you actually get perspective. Mm -hmm. Suddenly life looks much brighter. Suddenly there's not as much pressure on yourself, which, which is, um, which is really important. And then taking a long-term view on things that matter, like as deep connections or building a career or building up your like financial wealth, as opposed to wanting that instant gratification has been amazing as well. Cause it's given me that broader perspective to take a step back and just be a bit more laid back mm. as, uh, as everything unfolds. And what about let's, let's move across to the relationship side. So again, how, how was recognizing the importance of that in your own world played out for you? And um, in particular, I'm thinking about the relationship with your wife and that long distance relationship and other relationships that you might have that might be in different countries and things. Sure. So the, the long distance relationship was incredibly challenging. I mean, it was, it was from 
LA to China or the UK and the time differences from 15 hours, eight hours. It it was crazy. And I felt very fortunate in that because I ran my own business, I I had that opportunity to connect. And one of the things that we looked into was the five love languages and what, what is it that I can do that actually really matters to the other person. And when we look into evaluating and figuring out what's going on, we do the love tank every week where we figure out you know, how love did you feel this week? What can I do to make you feel more love next week? And that has been amazing to help us constantly upgrade our relationship, whether it's offline or in person, that's been amazing to do. And to figure out and prioritize uh, those conversations have, have been amazing just with, with Evelyn. Um, there's so much to pull apart here. So um, I want to come back to what five love languages is and the love tank. So in a minute, if, if it's okay, if sure. we can kind of um, explain yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But before that, so you said that you were, so you were running your business um, and you were between LA and China. Um, and how did it work? Did you meet somebody in China and then you hit it off and then you, you're kind of exploring, well, like, how do we make this work? Because we don't live in the same country and we've got different lifestyles. Like what practically kind of, how did that, how did that come about? Sure. So we connected uh, previously in China and then reconnected three years later in Los Angeles, actually after I attended one of Tony's events. And then after the reconnection, we hit it off and we decided we would give it a go. And then I didn't see her for three and a half months (laughs) until she flew to the UK. Again, stepping back a little. So when you reconnected after one of the Tony Robbins events, was that a prompt from one of the Tony Robbins events of you know, an action that he inspired you to take, or was that just serendipity? That was an intention that I had when attending that I wanted to open myself up okay. and to be more vulnerable. When, when I was speaking about how I was hot, like hardened for, for other people with regards to the suicide and things like that, I went to the event with the intention of letting myself be more vulnerable and open up yeah. so that I could connect with people on a, on a deeper level. Okay. And then through that, we established that connection and then we decided to, to take it from there. And then, so what happened from there? So you, you, you start a relationship and you're in different countries and cause earlier I heard you say that, um, your wife, but where she, you, she had only just started living with you and it's yeah. like you'd been remote for a long time. So you got married and then lots and lots of time living um, thousands of miles apart. Is that fair? So we, we connected, we, we only got married um, last year as part of the reason to get the you know, spouse visa. We haven't had the ceremony uh, as yet, but we wanted to be able to, to live together and actually make it happen. So one of the biggest challenges, obviously with the long distance is figuring out flying to different places, managing a business as well. When I'm starting it up, when I'm connecting with people at a, obviously do everything online and attempting to do that across multiple time zones was an incredible challenge. And I I remember thinking, I have no idea how I'm going to make this work. I remember at one point being in China, I've just got two weeks of money left in my account. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure if I can do this. Like this is, this is crazy. I've I've got to fly to LA, one of the most expensive places in the world. I mean, Shanghai, it's already expensive. I go back to the UK, that's expensive. (laughs) I'm thinking like, how can I actually do this? And that was where I started to uh, figure out this money mindset of you know, how can I be well paid for what I do and also add value to people. And that, that's, uh, I think, a challenge that a lot of people face in the self-development space of I want to help someone, but I also want to be paid for what I do and trying to understand the balance there was a, was a real challenge for me. When, when was that? If we try and put a time frame around it, or how many years ago was this? Um, so probably about 
uh, th- that moment was probably about five years ago. Okay. And so this was, it was about five years ago. You're, you're kind of down to bare bones finances and, but you've, you've met somebody in China, you're kind of reestablishing that relationship. And, and now it sounds like you're really getting into a new headspace around applying a lot of what you've learned to your own life and then leveraging up from there. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, most certainly. And it was, it was, it was a big challenge of having people around me saying, you know, you should get a job, you should do those things. And that was that constant battle of doubting myself and feeling unsure. And I think that everyone has experienced that to some degree and to be able to, to then finally get, gain a client, start to move things forward. And it was, it was an amazing journey. And you, you resisted that temptation that was coming from lots of people around you with go get a job, play it safe. How did you resist it? What, what, was, what was driving you forward? What was motivating you? And how did things fall into place for you? Sure. I think ultimately the, the outcome was I've, I've worked this hard to, to make this happen. I'm going to make this work. It was, I'm going to burn these bridges. I don't want to attempt to get a job to do that. It's not going to work for my relationship. Like that, that, that's not going to work. I, I need to, to make this happen. And sometimes I feel incredibly lucky and fortunate that sometimes things just fall into place. And I remember uh, a client coming to me and asking me to help them on their relationships. And I was like, no, <laughs> I recommended someone else. And I was like, yeah, their relationship, go to, go see that. And then they came back and I was like, no, we want to work with you. And I was like, ah, okay, cool. Let me think about it. And I remember sitting down with them for two hours, finally discussing finances, thinking, okay, they've said yes, but are they going to pay? Like, oh my God, this is crazy. And then suddenly things just seemed to, to, to work out when I, when I had that intention. And I think that I, I was just so fortunate looking back to be able to then have money to you know, open a bank account uh, back in the US and start to be able to have stuff up there because transferring money in and out. I mean, there, there have been so many challenges uh, along the way to do that. But I, I just feel very, very fortunate and lucky to have gone through that process that has enabled me to, to, to be the man I am today. And to what degree was, was mindset playing a role in your ability to be able to follow through? Well, I think mindset is, is incredibly uh, important in all areas of our lives and having the right mindset and, and figuring out, you know, can you make this work and how are you going to make this work? And I think that ultimately deciding and, and not just making that decision, but following through and saying, I'm, I'm going to find a way, I think has enabled me to take that action to do what was necessary to enable me to move forward and to to get that income coming in that would sustain the lifestyle that I had built for myself. Can I just ask a question about balance here because it's <clears throat> it's sure. interesting on one in one sense you're you're saying you know that you and we should all be practice gratitude uh, for what we have um, and not be too spending all our energy just going for a goal. But at the same time, you sort of set yourself a goal. You know, you've got a problem to solve. You want to have this relationship. You want to be self-employed. You've got to make the money work. See, that goal of what you're, the problem you're trying to solve is, so in one sense, you're being, grateful for what you've got but in the other sense you you're also going for something as well and it's it's just about finding that balance isn't it that you're not spending they're both useful i think is what you're saying um but if you if you just if you just practice gratitude then there's a danger you don't move forward 
if you're just looking to move forward, there's a danger you don't enjoy the moment and just enjoy the journey as 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 you as you move along. Yeah, I, I think that the, the way that I best explain it now is that you're grateful for where you are. And yes, you have a goal, but it's important to let go of the result. What I mean by that is you, you do all the work like you're doing that, but you don't become like fully attached to actually getting something that's outside yeah. of your control. It, you, you can only control the actions that you take and the effort that you put so in. So that goal, is, that goal becomes direction. It's just a direction you're going in. Um, and, and you may never get there because you know what, you take a few steps forward and actually your perspective changes and maybe your goal changes, but you've always got that direction and that's why it's helpful. Yeah, most certainly. I think being able to have that direction and that vision for yourself enables you to have that direction to enable you to move yeah, forward. So let, let go of achieving what it is that you have in mind, because that's not, that's, that isn't the important thing is what you're saying. Correct. It's more of the guiding light and yeah. then you take action that enables you to move in that direction. And whether or not it's a little bit off course, off like off course completely, yeah, yeah. it still enables you to Just move don't in worry the right about way. it too much. It's, it's, it's doing its job. We've, yeah. we've used the metaphor of a compass before. Yeah. That, that sounds like it's a good, a good, a good metaphor here in what, in what you're describing yeah. that without a compass, you're, you're di- literally directionless. Whereas with a compass, you can head Northeast knowing that you want to end up Northeast sometimes you yeah. might tack a bit north and sometimes more east and sometimes yeah. south and west but at least you've got some idea of direction yeah, of travel yeah. right yeah yeah most certainly I, I often use the the analogy of a ship saying that we're all ships in the sea but you've got to understand where you're going mm. and if you rear off course that's okay just as long as you know where yeah. you're heading mm. yeah, cool. okay. ships with a compass i like it um coming back so back to uh, the role of relationships and and this um slightly unconventional long distance relationship how you kind of figure it figure that out make it work I'm really, really intrigued by you. you. You talked about the five love languages, the love tank. These are things that I might have heard of them before, but I've got no concept of what they are. And it sounds sure. a little bit like they are tools probably that would, that would benefit any relationship, but maybe in particular would really help to maintain uh, a, a, a relationship that's long distance and less conventional. So can you tell us a bit more about what, what you've learned, what they are? How, do they even manifest sure, sure, sure. in other kinds of relationships? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I when I talk about relationships, I think this is a fantastic framework. And uh, I mentioned the five love languages. I've repurposed it as the six expressions of love because I really feel I missed out on one. And I'll explain why, and I'll tell you why this cost me a ton. <laughs> Let me explain. So what happened was I'm I'm in um, I'm in San Diego. And I'm with uh, my, my girlfriend's at the time's family. And as a British person, obviously you're aware that as a culture, we want to finish everything that's on our plate, right? Because that, that's normal, right? And in America, the plates are twice as big. So already it's a challenge, but I'm thinking I've got to be polite. So I'm out there and I'm doing my best to finish everything. And as I finish everything, they then put more food on my plate. And I'm thinking, okay, these guys are challenging me. <laughs> Clearly Asians are challenging me. Can I eat for their daughter? I don't know what's going on in their heads, but I'm thinking, okay, well now I've got to finish it. So I'm starting to finish it. And it was literally like a battle. And it was such a strange thing that was going on because I genuinely had no idea what was happening. I honestly thought they would challenge me in some weird uh, old traditional way. I had no idea. And then 30 days later, <laughs> I gained 30 pounds. <laughs> and it was just unreal. And like, we laugh about it, but I genuinely, like, I'm looking at this like back fat, I've got a belly and I'm like, what is going on? This is like so weird. And I finally like figured it out. I, I, you'd think I'd figure it out at the time. I genuinely had no idea. And that's that often Asians uh, express love through food. 
And that's one of the ways in which they, they express that and they want to overgive and overfeed and to make sure that you've got more than enough as a way to show the, the, that they care about you. And that was one of the ones obviously missing from what, <laughs> what I believe is the, uh, the love languages. But uh, ultimately, the, the framework that I play with now is the, the expressions of love. So food is obviously a big one that, that, that's clearly very important. You've also got gifts. So this is how people express love. So some people express love through food, others through gifts. Then you've also got uh, positive words. So for some people, you say, I love you, you're amazing. They feel on top of the moon. For others, it doesn't matter for diddly squat. Uh, other people prefer that you do services, that you actually do things for them, like acts of service is, uh, is incredibly important. You've then got physical touch, and you can imagine that's pretty difficult in a long distance relationship, right? But physical touch, like giving hugs, connecting um, with, with each other on a, on a, on a different basis. Mm. So these are the, the sort of five so far. And then if I think of uh, the last one, it's about quality time. So this is about the time you spend with, with your partner. So when I was chatting to Evelyn and we were trying to figure this out, the, the analogy that I use now to best portray it is most people in relationships are shooting blind. What I mean by this is they're doing all these things that they hope will make their partner feel loved, but they really have no idea because you could focus on one thing and it actually is much more efficient. It's basically uh, uncovering the bullseye. If you see the bullseye, you know where to aim and you can get more points. So this is how I, I you know, translate it to love. I'm not saying you can make it into a point system, but I, I feel like it portrays the analogy I'm, I'm, I'm going for here. So when I started to chat to Evelyn, I realized there were some things that she really didn't care as much about. Like acts of service wasn't a big thing for her. It, it, she didn't really want gifts for her. It was quality time and she wanted physical touch. Like that, that, those were the core things. So well, physical touch is obviously out the window. So uh, clearly the quality time is something that I had to, to work on. So we scheduled time literally every day that we would chat. And for her, it's very important to be able to see me visually. She's a visual person. Like audio doesn't work as well. She likes to see my face like that's part of how she, she best feels loved. And that helped me uncover how to, how to love her best. And, and for myself, yeah, it was words of affirmation and quality time too. So as long as she said, yeah, Ben, you're doing great. Oh, I feel on top of the moon. I'm, I feel fantastic. And I think ultimately that has been a, a fantastic framework that's enabled us to figure out where to focus to make uh, each other feel more loved. Ben, I'm loving you right now. <laughs> I, 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 ben, I'd, I'd like to... Was that the bullseye? Ben, Did I hit the bullseye? <laughs> I'd, I'd like to touch you, Ben. Okay, now behave. <laughs> it's great. Know, it's, re it's, it's really, I mean, it's, it's really interesting to hear you say all this because I, I think for those people who, some people will know Tony Robbins and some won't. And I think... Certainly in the well, past. Hold on, Ray. Let me just jump in. If you don't know Tony Robbins, then go watch. There's a, do uh, a Netflix documentary. I'm not your guru. That's it. So, so that's that's a that's a pretty good representation of what he's about, right? So if you're not sure, go watch that, and that will give you re a really really good yeah background. And, and I, I think if if you're living living in the states, you probably know him uh, a lot more than than uh, people outside of the states. But he can seem quite American. And quite yeah. and, and quite salesy, I think was what the, the expression you used earlier. But actually, when you start listening to what he actually says, rather than maybe all the other stuff around it, he makes huge sense. And to hear you talk about expressions of love, it, 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 it's fantastic. And but what you're doing is you'll be a lot of people listening. I think will say, well, 
you're just breaking it down and you know it's life isn't like that it, it's you know it's not an algorithm <laughs> you can't break it down but the reality is this is what happens in life isn't it that's you, you do these things um and things you got you, you give yourself a chance of love uh, and if you don't it's just a lot more difficult well, put it this way, there, there, is, there is no perfect framework for anything because all humans are different. You look at personality types like Myers-Briggs yeah. or things like that, like nothing's ever going to be perfect. But what we're looking for is really a good representation. For me, when we look at the Pareto principle, you know, 20% gets you 80% of the results. I see this as one of those frameworks. Mm. Like if you understand this and you can actually figure it out for your partner and to, to actually work out what actually makes them feel love, it just makes it a different game because you understand and most people are oblivious and i don't think being unconscious is a better way to go about life i think understanding yeah. frameworks understanding you know, different perspectives yeah. and then choosing to apply them if they're relevant i think is is very very and then, and then you keep repeating that and they become a habit and and you don't notice you're doing it. you just do it it's it's you know your way of behaving hmm. so one of the things that, that my wife says to me now is that I've, I've conditioned her, I've changed her. I was like, what are you chatting about? <laughs> she, well, she's saying that at work, she's using much more positive words. Because when we first started going out, and this is the Asian culture, you'll often criticize as a, as a form of, of love because I care about you, I'm criticizing you. I want to help you. That's part of the thing. Now, that didn't really work with, with me. So when we had those conversations, I was sharing, I felt most love when you did this it started to perhaps make her more aware of what she was doing. And, and as you go through time, you start to change your behavior and how you connect with, with people. And it, it's just been fascinating to see how even like she changes her language with work colleagues purely because of understanding the, the differences in, in how we express ourselves to one another. Mm. And it's fair to say, Ben, that, 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 that framework that applies with, clearly within intimate relationships, but also probably within any relationship, right? So back to those two tenets of finance, but I want to call it wealth and relationships. Yeah. And this, this is a new, like, like you say, Pareto's law, it's a, it's a really good way of understanding how to connect with another individual in a way where it's kind of conscious and, and uh, deliberate based on their own nuanced needs. Yeah, most certainly. And, and I think that there's, you know, we, we could go on for, for a long time chatting about relationships and frameworks. And I, I feel very fortunate that I've, I've run relationship workshops, I've done my like energy workshops. I feel like there's, there's obviously a variety of different frameworks and topics out there. But uh, I, I do find the six expressions of love is, is a fantastic one that you can apply to work, you can apply it to friends, you can apply it in, in a variety of different contexts. Mm. And can we also just um, dive into the love tank as well? Because I'm just sure. curious about what the love tank is. Sure. So basically, um, the, the framework for that is how loved did you feel this week on a scale of one to 10? So it's basically a series of questions. So the, the key with this is that you just listen and you don't interrupt your partner. It gives them like a free space to express. So how loved did you feel on a scale of one to 10? Why did you feel that way? And this helps you uncover the, the real reasons of what's going on. It's been incredibly insightful to understand like how, what I've done has actually made her feel loved. Um, then what can I do this week to, to make you feel more loved? And uh, when did you feel most loved? And then also, is there anything else you want to share? And that's nice. And I think the, one of the key questions there is, when did you feel most loved? That has been amazing to uncover the core things that I do that are small, that really make a difference in my relationship that I had no idea about. 
And through those questions, you can only imagine if you do that once what it does for your relationship. Imagine if you do that over 150 times, like 200, like, and we've been doing that you know, for almost five years. It's just been amazing to see the, the growth and the difference that it's made, especially in different walks of life. And even now the answers are changing because we're living together. It's even, uh, and the relationship progresses. And I think that's really important. Most people don't have a vision for their relationship. They have a vision for their business, their life, but having a vision for your relationship, what you want it to be like, and uh, this is a fantastic tool to help you manifest that. Mm. Do you, and, and so presumably you do have a vision for your relationship and, and, and to what extent does vision play a role in how you organize your own life and what you're looking for for the future and what you're trying to design? Sure. So for me, I, I break my life down into a variety of areas. I do the same with my business. So I have different areas for the business. I have different areas for my life. And I have a vision in all of those areas because that enables me to better understand what I'm aiming for. Because I feel that if you understand what you're aiming for, then you're not settling. And once again, as Ray was mentioning, it's not just about hitting that goal. It's understanding the direction. Like I'd love to be able to, to get there. And you know, it's a journey, like whether or not I'll get it this year, next year, in 10 years, in 20 years, maybe I won't get there, but at least I know what I'm aiming for. Mm. And that helps me clarify the steps that are important for me to take to, to help me move in that so it direction. What makes you, it makes you understand which options to go for because you've got because Correct. you've got that direction it makes the decision making process a, a, a lot easier or easier um what what form does the vision take ben and and alongside that question how do you put the time aside and what work do you do to get clarity around that vision sure so for me every year i reevaluate all the different areas that i have of my life and I look at the vision and I think, does that still resonate with me? With me? Is it still relevant? So for me, I, I break it down into uh, a few different areas. So I have the, the vision, uh, for example, in my relationship. And then I have the, the big why. For me, it's like, why is this even important for me to have? And I, I really feel that's the fuel stuff fire. And then it's having those roles. Like, what roles do I play within that category? So the lifelong lover, right? Being, and and there's, there's these roles that we play that when you embody, enable you to really be that character, you know, a spontaneous magic moment creator. Like suddenly when I, when I think of those roles that I play in my life, being an energetic beast, like being uh, <laughs> the uh, ultimate Spartan warrior, right? For example, in the health, like when I think of embodying those roles, that enables me to move towards that vision in a much more sustainable way because I'm thinking about who I'm being as I go about my day in the different roles that I'm playing. And those labels that you just quoted, yes. they are, they sound like very deliberate considered labels. Correct. And just rewind. Can you just give us some of those labels again? There was one in particular, just, just run them. Sure. So, so there's the, the lifelong lover. There's the, you know, I've got so many, here. uh, spontaneous magic moment creator. That was the energetic. That was piece. it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the spontaneous magic moment, magic moment creator. creator. That sounds like your dad. Yeah, most certainly. I, I think that when when I think about my dad and I think about you know what made him him, I think that there's a variety of different elements that live through me. And I think being spontaneous, creating those magic moments is something that uh, I think is incredibly important in life. And I think that when, when I reflect and, and through the years, I think of what have been better years for me. And I think it's when I had more of those small magic mm, moments mm. that we forget because when, when we think about the length of our lives, if we have a, a very mundane you know, work or we're doing the same thing, it feels slow at the time, but when you look back, it goes very quickly. 
So I realized that if I really want to have a long and cherished life, having those magic moments, doing those things that are a little bit different enables me to notice what's happening and slows life down so I can really enjoy yeah, it. Or, or, yeah. or it makes life longer. It yeah, is, is another way of looking at it because you're conscious and you're not living your life on autopilot. Um, those, yeah. those, so I'm, I'm really into this. I'm really into this. I think there's a lot for people to unpack here um, in terms of how conscious and deliberate you are about organizing your life in a way where it's you trying to make the most out of what you're doing and the gifts that you have and how you want to help people and apply yourself to the world, the relationships mm. you have. Um, it's really sobering to hear all this stuff. The, th that process, as you said, you, you review it annually. Um, you recalibrate maybe, just have a look. Is it still checking out? Is there some slight adjustments that you need to make? And then those labels sound important. We've talked before about this idea of um, the role that language plays in being able to understand yeah. and, and qualify and communicate effectively your ideas and your, your kind of roles and things. Um, are you doing that work on your own? What, what's, so I'm thinking for the audience, uh, how do they take this into their own world? What, what, what have you learned about your own process of how best to pull this apart, review it, put it back together, put labels sure, together? Sure, sure, sure. So one of the first systems I ever made was my ultimate life management system, which is basically everything that I've portrayed out, but really in depth, like everything from weekly evaluations, monthly, quarterly, and basically just evaluating so you, so you know what's going on. And I, I did that you know, years and years ago, and then I repurposed the material this year to, to figure out how to simplify it. But ultimately, when, when we look at breaking it down in a very, very simple way, I think that it's incredibly important to simplify it, to have that vision for that area, spend some time thinking about why it's important, and then think about those roles. And then each day for me personally, I write down what I'm doing and I write down the roles that I'm being at each of those tasks that I'm doing in the day as well. So for example, now I want to be an authentic inspirer because I think for me, that's the role I want to play whilst, whilst I'm on this podcast with you guys. And stepping into that allows me to access different parts of me that I wouldn't be doing if I was being the ultimate Spartan warrior, which I will be doing later on today. <laughs> but <laughs> it just enables me to, to sort of gain that focus and to embody what I want to feel, focus on and behave to enable me to, to live what I believe to be an incredibly fulfilled life. How are you, so that that process today of reestablishing the vision, labeling, um, recalibrating, practically, how does that work in your life? Do you put time aside? Do you go away somewhere? Do you do it with somebody? Sure. So from a practical standpoint of uh, recalibrating, and I, I just want to make sure I've understood this correctly, is it how often do I look at this or is it how do I recalibrate on a yearly, on a yearly basis and reflect? I think it's more, um, it sounds like the annual process is an important moment in reestablishing the vision, right? Correct. I'm wondering about the practicalities of how you go about going. Got from, it. Yeah. Okay, cool. So what I do on a, on a weekly basis is I reassess um, what I'm doing. So I, I, I go through um, a system and I look at all the different areas that I have and I reconnect with that vision and I read them very briefly. And then I think, okay, well, what tasks do I have in those areas? Like what are things that, that, that I need to do? And because it's linked to that vision, it's linked to that purpose, suddenly it becomes a much more enjoyable experience. I think a lot of people 
when they think of admin or boring things that they don't want to do, it's not linked to a purpose that matters to them. So by uh, putting it under different categories, similar to when you have your washing machine, right? You know where the forks go, you know where the knives go, you know where the plates go. It's similar to, to my life. If someone says something to me, I'm like, okay, well that needs to go in the fork cupboard or I'm buying some board games, that's for my deep meaningful connections. And suddenly it becomes much easier. Like I've got to work on my health. I need to figure out my sleep or my aura ring. Okay, that's in green energy. Suddenly it becomes very easy for me to better organize. And then on a weekly basis, I establish what tasks am I going to do? And then I can put them in my calendar. And then suddenly it becomes easy for me to reconnect with that. And on a daily basis, I write down everything. And I write down who I'm being to the left of it that enables me to move forward. And then I have my magic moments, I have three wins, and then I reflect of an area to improve. And I do that daily. And that really helps me bring everything to practice because I feel that there's a lot of knowledge and a lot of principles that work, but they're hard to implement. So for me, having that daily and that weekly practice really helps me implement everything that I'm that I'm sharing with you guys now. Yeah, it's, and then it's, it's, sorry, and then, sorry, Neil. Uh, just, just we, we spoke to to Tom yesterday, Tom Leibelt, who who listeners will be able to find um he he was talking about the balance between the routines and the systems and and how important it is to have those things to free you up to be adventurous to be curious and that you seem to be saying a very similar thing that you know you need these systems because that gives you the freedom yeah, I think that it's important to have systems in place that enable you to move forward because as human beings, we're incredibly forgetful. I, I know for myself, I'm very forgetful. Like if anyone asks me anything, I'll write it down immediately because I find it much easier and having those right systems and routines in place is important. And then I think it's so important to give yourself a, a bit of space to. And the truth is, it's not about being regimented all the time. Like there may be some weeks where we may have forgotten to love tank, but I'd say you know, 95% of the time are pretty yeah. good with that. But just as an example, that allows you to have that flow and to give yourself space where you don't feel like you have to do it. But for me, I know when I do, suddenly become life becomes so much easier. Yeah. So I, the, the weekly um, practice com- yes. makes complete sense. And I, and I understand that role of checking in and making it into something that, slots into your life and feels uh not like admin but like progression i'm still curious about uh the, how the role that the vision plays in your life and how that gets established um what so i'm thinking if if we take um our average listener and they're trying to figure out their own life and how that maps on to getting more unconventional getting more comfortable with the unknown maybe um, some of these tools and some of these practices might sound very unfamiliar to them, but might sound intriguing. So for that person, what, where do they start? What, what do they do? Well, I think the, the first thing that I would do if I'm in that person's position, what I would figure out, what am I trying to improve? If I was to figure out that error, is it personal growth? Is it like, what would I categorize that as? And then for me, it's figuring out, okay, well, what would be that, that vision that I'd have for myself? Would I want to be going out of my comfort zone, maybe learning a new skill? Maybe it's understanding things a bit more in depth. Maybe it's growing in a different way. Maybe it's gaining the skills so I can up my career. I'm, I'm not sure what that is, but ultimately by understanding where you want to move with that and then playing around with a, full, a few tools and techniques, it just enables you to start moving forward whereby you understand where you're going and then you're actually committing and writing down some actions to then start to 
implement on and to see the result that occurs. And would you say that's work that is better done on your own with other people? And practically, do you do you have a particular way of doing that work in a particular environment? Uh, are, there, are there any kind of tips and pointers of how that how, how you've made that work for you? Sure. So for me, I, I, I'm an avid fan of, of coaching. I've been coaching from all walks of life. Like when I was losing the weight that I gained, when I didn't understand about food being an expression, I, I got myself a coach for that. I think that having someone to offer a different perspective is invaluable in your life. And for me, I think whether that comes in this sense of a mentor, whether it comes as a, as a coach, a counselor, I'm, I'm not sure what that is for someone, but being able to have someone look at your life from a different perspective enables you to uncover your, your blind spots. So what I recommend that, that, that people do is if you can, like I would 100% explore looking into having someone help you. I think that's very important. And then for me, the weekly evaluations and, and the tools that I'm sharing is a way to actually coach yourself. Mm. So when I think of the weekly basis, it's asking yourself better questions, because if you ask yourself better questions, you're gonna get better answers. And I think that's of fundamental importance. So reflecting and being aware of what's going on allows you to be more conscious and then you can actually actively start taking steps to improve that. Uh, I kind of equate it to someone each week uh, saying something in your ear, like, you know, did you lose, uh, did, did you lose weight this week? Oh, no, I didn't. And you write down no. Okay. And then the next week, did you lose weight this week? And you're like, okay, no, I didn't. And suddenly it's, you're, you're asking those questions and obviously that, that's a simple scenario, but enables you to start to reflect and evaluate in a different way. And ultimately that enables you to reinforce routines and systems to help you stay on track. Mm. I'm thinking about, um, so, there's so much more in this conversation, but I'm also really, really conscious of, of time. And I want to thank you for the energy that you've brought to this conversation and the vulnerability that you've brought to this conversation. Cause I've really personally enjoyed it. And I think I can talk on behalf of Ray and say, a can reasonable good read of, of, of Ray and his behaviors. He seems super engaged as well. <laughs> I'm just well. going to keep quiet now. You can speak for me now. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to tell me I'm wrong, Ray. Okay. Um, what's, uh, what's next for you, Ben? What, what, what are you working on next? What, what, are, we, what are you striving for? Well, for me, I've, I've always been striving to be more fluent in Mandarin. I, I can speak okay, but if I'm on an interview, there's just no way. Like I was on a, a SBS in Australia asked me to do um, a Mandarin interview. I said, no, it's like chance we're getting me on the air. I'll record it. It takes me a while to record it. But for me, Mandarin is something that I really want to be able to master more. And especially this year, I decided to put it on the back burner because I was pivoting the business and I had to move everything online, obviously the rebrand that I was mentioning as well. So that, that's been um, important for me. Really, it's uh, systemizing and automating uh, much more of my business to enable me to serve people uh, at a higher level whilst also giving myself some more freedom. Mm -hmm. So that's been, that's been really cool. And then also being able to you know, have the wedding. We pushed it to, to 2022 because of, um, you know, COVID and people feeling you know, unsure about uh, traveling. I, I thought it'd be nicer to give people a little bit more certainty. So there's that. And then, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, I'm looking to the short future. I'm optimizing my sleep. I'm measuring stuff on my aura ring. And I think ultimately for me, it's uh, just impacting as many people as I, as I can. And one of the ways I'm doing that is, is actually launching a, a podcast you know, out in China. It'll be internationally too just interviewing different experts on how they live a great lifestyle whilst boosting their business success too. 
just so that I can constantly have those intriguing conversations and to gain more different perspectives on how to how to live my life as well as to help encourage other people with different perspectives on how to live that. Awesome. Yeah. And, and where can people find you? Where can they follow the work that you're doing? Sure. So they can connect with me on, on social media um, and then on my website. So ben-iv.com. So I-V-E-Y. I'm not a plant. And then uh, <laughs> you can connect with You've me on You've used that uh, before, <laughs> haven't you? <laughs> I, I, honestly, I actually, I actually used it. Uh, I think it was about two days ago on a podcast. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do that from uh, now yeah. on. I quite, I quite like that. I quite like it too. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, straight after this podcast, I'm going to go in and Google I'm not a plant.com. And if it's there, I'm going to buy it and then try and sell it to you. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah, so, so, I'm pretty open. I think people can connect with me on, the, on, the, on, the, on most social media as long as they, they're not looking for that plant. <laughs> And it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Cheers, Ben. Um, yeah. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much for having me. It was, uh, it was lovely to have a conversation and I hope the listeners uh, gain, uh, gain some different perspectives and some value. Cool. Thank you. That's it, folks. For show notes, head over to the website at www.lifedonedifferent.ly where you'll find links, a quick summary, and you can also explore other conversations. If you're enjoying this podcast, then please tell your friends, give us a good rating and remember to subscribe. We're also really keen to hear your feedback. So please do let us know what you think and give us your ideas over on Twitter. You can tweet us at Life Done Diff. That's double F.